Hello again, welcome back to another episode of the Italian Football Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Santangelo. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Now, although we don't have Serie A fixtures to recap in this episode, we do have a packed a recording for you guys. Joining me first is going to be Joe Sirocco. He's a frequent guest on this channel and host. does plenty of work for Italian Football Daily. And after afterwards, we will bring on our Serie B expert, Kevin Nolan, to talk about all things happening in the second division of Italian Calcio. Joe, first off, Happy New Year. How's everything going with you? Happy New Year, Matt. Uh, thanks again for having me. Uh, it's going great. Thank you to all our wonderful listeners. Uh, we get more and more listeners every week here on the podcast. Lots of feedback on Twitter and our social media feeds. So thank you. A big grazie to all our uh, listeners and our readers at Italian Football Daily. Um, our podcast is, is, a, is a hit on iTunes. We're doing really well with it, and I'm excited to be back once again this week. Um, a lot of interesting things to, to talk about uh, this week, Matt, uh, including our, our guest, Kevin, uh, who's going to be talking about Serie B. Uh, be sure to stay tuned for that because uh, Serie B, some big teams in there as well, and it's always an exciting league, something that we don't really get to talk about too much on this podcast. Um, and again, we're going to dive right into uh, to transfers. Uh, like, like you said, Matt, there's no Serie A. Uh, for the next couple Sundays, but there's still lots of lots of murmurings in, in the transfer market. Uh, only a few weeks left until the deadline, <clears throat> so uh, we can get started in. And uh, for all of all of you listening, once again, as always, you can uh, follow the latest up to date uh, info on transfers, opinions of the world of calcio on our website italianfootballdaily.com and our Twitter page at Italian FD. Uh, so we're going to begin tonight uh, on this podcast with uh, Juve. Uh, we've been mentioning them in the last couple podcasts on our transfer market. Um, news out of Juventus today. Uh, youngster uh, Nicolo Barella, who, uh, Matt, as you know, was voted on uh, as part of the UEFA 50 up-and-coming players, uh, young players, 20-year-old midfielder from Cagliari, I was having a great season, all-around midfielder uh, and a future talking point for the Nazionale, the national team, as well as a potential future star in Serie A. So uh, Juve, always looking for that midfielder, and uh, they've got the young Italian on their sights. Um, as reported by Gianluca Di Marzio and the newspapers in Italy, Juventus are looking at something um, in what they call a synergy project. Uh, meaning that there could be an exchange uh, or a synergistic relationship with the two teams between Cagliari and Juventus, uh, meaning that Juventus could buy a player, in this case Barella, for about 20 to 30 million euros, but they in exchange would loan out some of their players like Mattiello, uh, Rolando Mandragora, who is a young midfielder playing at Crotone, and, and others as well. Uh, Matt, what are you thinking of uh, Barella and Juventus uh, from what you've heard today? What's your opinion on, on that that move and this quote-unquote synergistic uh, relationship that they're trying to establish? Well, first, I think Nicolo Barella, is, is, he's, he's ready for the next level. And I think it's, it's saying something, the fact that I am pretty much pegging him for a move already and he's only 20, just goes to show you just how special I think he is. Now, he's been... Very, very promising for about a year, year and a half now. But this has been really the one season where everyone's quickly looking his way and saying this kid has has that it factored. I think it's very clear to see once you watch him week in and week out. It's obvious that he's not going to stay at Cagliari long term, probably not past June. So for Juventus, they're trying to get the leg up on their competition. Roma has been interested in them. But this past week, there was links with him with them. I'm sure Milan are interested. I'm sure Inter are interested. I'm sure Lazio, if maybe they sell Milankovic, Savic would be interested as well. So Barella is going to have quite a bit of options to consider in the summer, of course. Most likely not going to be moving this month. But again, these teams like Juve are trying to get the leg up on their competition before it becomes a bidding war in the summer. So 
for them to be linked with Barella is certainly exciting if you're a Juventus fan. Box-to-box profile checks off everything you want on the checklist in terms of a midfielder, an attacking midfielder. And I, I feel, you know, if you're going to look for a young talent, now is the time to do it because the price is only going up. And as you just mentioned, one of the top 50 players to look out for on the UEFA list. So it's no surprise a guy like him is being interested with the, the top team, one of the top teams in Italy, the top team of the past six years in Juventus. A fee that would like a fee that would take to get him would probably be around, as you mentioned, 20 to 30 million. In this market, that's pretty much a bargain when you consider the fact that certain players are going for double that after one year. So, again, for Juventus fans, they should be very happy with what's going on with their midfield because they do have some players that are getting older and having that interest and and that pers- and that pursuing of guys like Barella and of course we'll talk about Emery Can- Emery Chan, excuse me. It, it it gives you that impression that Juventus are being active and they're trying to build for the now and for the future. Yes, exactly. And to your point, uh, Juventus is trying to build a young midfield. Uh, Blaise Matuidi is 31. Uh, Claudio Marchisio is uh, 31. Mirlin Pjanic is uh, approaching 27, 28 years old. And Sami Kadira is 31 years old. He will be this year. So an aging midfield for sure. Uh, Juventus has to load up. They've got uh, Rodrigo Betancourt, who has played uh, earlier in the season when there were injuries to Kadira and uh, to Marquisio uh, and some knocks to their other players. Uh, he stepped in and played some minutes in the Champions League and the league. Right now, currently, uh, he's struggling to find some minutes right now, but he's definitely part of the future of Juve. Adding a guy like Barella, 20 years old, to with Betancourt, who's uh, also 20 years old, who can play in the middle of the park or on the right side of the midfield in a three-man midfield. Emery Chan, it's not official yet, but it's getting very, very close. Day by day, we're getting inching closer and closer to a deal in June for free, which would send the German international to Juventus at a reported 5 million euro salary per year. An all-around, excuse me, an all-around player who can play anywhere in the midfield would be a bargain, a steal for Juve, and at 23, um, definitely leads the line in a a new generation of of a Juventus midfield going forward. Well, well, let me just add something on Emery Chan because I think, um, admittedly, I know probably you agree with this as well, we aren't frequent viewers of Liverpool and, and Chan on a weekly basis um, in the Premier League. But I, from what I have seen um, this year, because obviously I know he was walking into his last year, last year of his contract with Liverpool, and there were reports that he's not going to extend and he's going to be moving on to a big club. Most probably would have assumed that maybe Bayern Munich would come in here to play. Obviously, they kind of tend to scoop up every uh, German player, it seems, these days. Yeah, pre- pretty much any uh, any German player or anyone in, in the Bundesliga goes. It's I think it's a law by now that every German international, every good player in the Bundesliga must play for Bayern. I think they've probably written it in their their rule book by now. But for, for Emi Chan, I mean, he's, he's 23. And I think if you ask most Liverpool fans, they most would say that this has kind of been that year where he's really put it together for the most part. In recent years, he's shown glimpses of being a star player, but has kind of been a little bit inconsistent, at least from what I've seen. So again, I think this is that one year where Juventus fan, Juventus rather, are kind of been a little bit blown away by his performance for Liverpool. And now they're kind of trying to capitalize on that opportunity to take him to Turin in the summer for peanuts, literally pretty much nothing. And it's kind of going along with the trend of what Juventus have been doing over the past five, six years. They've been getting players on free, on free deals, or pretty much for minimum, uh, minimum money. Pogba, Pirlo, Vidal didn't cost them that much. Sami Kadira they got for free. And Chanika is, is likely to be another one of those cases where they don't mind paying him that, the money per year if they can get him on pretty much nothing. So again, another good piece of business that Juventus are going to be pulling off likely. Again, it's not official, but... It's more than likely to happen. And speaking of young midfielders, Juventus and Sampdoria met on Wednesday night to talk about a couple individuals who have been, um, for lack of a better word, sensational this year, um, to say the least. I think I can't rave about them enough. Lucas Torreira, Dennis Prayet, and of course, David Kaunaki, the young Polish forward. These three names did come up in the meeting with the two sides. And it's going to be interesting to see 
if one of these names do does land in turn again, I don't think it's going to happen in January. But Torero was the one that came about the most um, in that meeting, as reports have indicated. And it's there is a, there is the possibility that Juventus would make an offer in the summer for Torero when he is likely most likely to leave. There is plenty of interest for Torreira. He's a midfielder who's pretty much been on the radar for some of the top teams in Italy and Spain for the past six months. Obviously, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, they would have no issues affording a player of his caliber. But again, it remains to be seen where this kid lands. Regardless, it's probably not going to be at Samp next year. I don't I just don't see how he remains put. So again, as you just mentioned, with that synergy type relationship that they could have with Cagliari, uh, Cagliari with getting Barella, it looks like they could be working on a similar thing with Samp, where if they get a guy like Torreira or Praia to add to their midfield ranks, they could send a young player like Mantorgora, Matiello, or even Alberto Cherry, who's playing at Perugia, the other way as to kind of give them that opportunity to replenish their squad. So again, Juventus are very active this month in terms of the rumors and, and things like that, but they're more trying to build for again, what's going to happen in June, and they're trying to get the leg up on their competition. It's just a very good business strategy for Juventus to act now and to kind of secure these deals before anything happens in the summer because the last thing they want is to wait and have that gentleman's agreement and something like a Vitz, Axel Witzel scenario comes up where they think they have him and they don't. So credit to Juventus for being active on that front. Yeah, for sure. And they're going for, uh, they're looking forward to next season. Um uh, and reloading because they're they're gonna have to revamp. Uh, they're gonna do a roster overhaul. They'll have probably Azamoa, uh, Licksteiner out uh, for next year, and they have to rebuild that defense and midfield. So they're keeping an eye on the future. In terms of uh, moves so far for them for the the uh, defending uh, Italian champions, the Bianconeri is are unlikely to do any moves. Uh, in January, maybe potentially a, a roster depth move, but I doubt it. There's some interest uh, that's been for uh, Azamoa, uh, interest in Sturaro from Spain and from, from Italy, but Allegri likes Stefano Sturaro, and he's a good, uh, solid utility man that could be used in in, uh, in any uh, a variety of scenarios. He's been playing in the midfield at right back at times as well this season. Um, Juventus again is competing for three trophies right now. They are uh, right in the thick of it with Napoli breathing down their necks in the league, still in the Champions League and uh, in the Coppa Italia semifinals. So they're going to need uh, depth going forward. But as like you mentioned, excuse me, they are looking towards June and the future. So don't expect them to really make any significant moves this time around. Uh, unlike some of their competi- their nearest competition, Napoli, who uh, have been in the in in talks, and it's no secret that they're looking for a a winger, a right winger to replace uh, long term uh, Jose Callejon, and also the fact that they don't have a replacement for him if he goes down injured, um, in their campaign to win the Scudetto, and they're also playing again in the Europa League as well. They're not really focus too much on that but the league definitely they're going to need some kind of depth to go forward and try to win there's that scudetto that's been eluding them for a long long time uh rumor has it uh matt that we've got uh, on the radar simone verdi who has an agreement or rather his his club currently simone verdi uh at bologna his club has agreed to a fee with with napoli it's up to the player now uh to, to decide whether he wants to go now in January or in June. Um, Matt, you've been following uh, Simone Verdi for a while since his Milan days. Can you tell us, some of the listeners who maybe don't know or haven't really heard too much of him, because he has been kind of a journeyman uh, playing everywhere, uh, can you tell us a little bit about him and what he might bring to Napoli? Yeah, sure. So Simone Verdi has been coming, he came up through the Milan system, and of course he pretty much became one of those prospects that didn't really get a chance or an opportunity to kind of prove himself at his boyhood club. From Since moving on from Milan, he's played at teams like Torino, on low with Juve Stabia, Empoli, made a brief spell in Spain with Ibar, came, then came back to play with Carpi, where he actually did pretty well in a very small time, and he kind of parlayed that into a permanent move to Bologna, where he's really had his breakout spell of his career, if you will. As you just mentioned, he's been a journeyman his entire career for the most part. Again, he's only 25, though. 
Um, I think, you know, it's it's obvious that this is his breakout year and there is no better time for him to make that next step to a bigger club. He's entering his prime. He's showing that he's a very skilled offensive player who can, you know, create for himself and for others. And I think for me, he's, he's probably going to be the priority for Napoli. I think it's pretty obvious that their intention is to add him if he can make up his mind, if you will, and actually agree to move now versus in June. However, Napoli are in the event. Napoli cannot sway him to make that move prematurely. There is the possibility that they do land Gerard de la Feu, who has been linked with a return to Italy pretty much ever since he had that good spell last year with Milan, where he actually helped them um, secure Europa League berth. Most thought that was the ideal fit. But after he was the fir- after he was offered to Milan, Mirabelli pretty much said that we're good as we are, and we're not going to be making any additions. Rather, going to be more looking to sell. So it's pretty much clear that if De La Feu is going to return to Italy, it's going to happen with Napoli. Now, again, his fee is probably going to be a little bit less than what it would cost for Verdi um, domestic sale. You can kind of maybe throw that in the, in, in 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 as a reason why it's maybe the pri- higher price, but. Verdi probably costs around 25 to 24 million versus De La Feu, who may be in that range of 14 to 16. Now, again, De La Feu brings is a pretty similar player, I would say. But if I had my choice, it would probably be Verdi. I just think, again, he's an ideal fit. He's ready for a big move. And he's been one of those guys that had to battle his way to where he is now. So most Napoli fans are probably hoping that Verdi gives his, his thumbs up. But if they can't get him to do that, De La Feu is definitely a good consolation prize. I did an article on him. On um, a little while back, I'll definitely share that with you guys as well. But he's got the speed, he's got the technique on the ball to run at defenders, and he would definitely be welcoming the addition for Maurizio Sarri's side, who are definitely looking for some winger um, reinforcement. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to see Verdi on Napoli, another Italian player on their roster uh, who would give them a lot of depth. Um, he's really good on free kicks this season. He scored. Two free kicks in in one game, one with his left, one with his right foot. Something you har- hardly ever see in in world football. So that's that that's something um, definitely eye catching. A uh, player that they would have on their hands, and they need someone. They need that depth going forward if they want to win the scudetto. And uh, I think he deserves a chance to play full time. Now, whether or not he'll get the minutes is another story, because uh, Callejon is still playing great, and he's he has. He's a starter. He's not going to lose a starting spot. So I'd like to see him play with Napoli as a starter, get the minutes, and then see what he can do on the national team. Who knows? Uh, at this point, our national team is uh, in disarray. I would and it just open tryouts for anybody and let's see what this kid can do. I think he's he's earned his keep. He's earned the right to play full-time in Italy after traveling, as you mentioned, all over the place. Uh, let's see what the kid can do. And for Napoli, whether it's Delofe or, or Verdi, either or would do great uh, on Napoli, but that's something, uh, a role that they would need to fill. Now, we talked about about this a little bit uh, off off the record, but they do need uh, fullback help, but they're looking towards most likely in the summer. Uh, I think they're okay with uh, with what they have now with Hizaj coming back, Mario Rui filling in, and Maggio, the veteran who can uh, log some minutes for them, I think it'll be just enough that they can scrape by on the fullback front, but that's something they're going to have to look at in June for sure uh, on that front uh, for Napoli, who are currently right now in first place and looking to finally get that Scudetto for the first time since 1990. Now going down the list of our Serie A clubs, next we'll talk about uh, Inter, who have had an interesting day. Uh, reports out of Italy from Gianluca Di Marzio and uh, the media are talking about potentially several options at both winger and right back. Now, Delofeo was an option for Inter as well, and as such, even for Milan as well. Uh, talks about a youngster out of Portugal, uh, Lisandro Lopez, uh, on a loan with a 10 million option. Inter, as uh, we all know, are have been hit with uh, risk getting penalties with the UEFA uh, financial fair play scenario um, if they add anyone so they really can't add a single player they can't spend that money right now uh, and or risk facing serious fines so they're looking for cheap deals to add to their depth which they're sorely lacking and that's been 
uh, and as as you as we all noticed noted over the last month, their run of form has been pretty poor. Uh, looks like they're out of gas, like they need a, an extra boost. Uh, Lisandro Lopez uh, could provide that uh, as well. They have Fernandez out of Russia, out of Locomotive. Uh, Moscow, uh, a veteran player, he's 31, 32, uh, to add to the midfield up front. And in addition to Rafinha from Barcelona, uh, the Blaugrana player uh, not getting much time at Barca and uh, could fit in as the fullback position for Inter, which is their most dire need. Uh, right now, um, Matt, do you want to comment on a little bit on Inter situation? Absolutely. So Lisandro Lopez is likely going to be arriving on a loan with option to buy around eight to ten million. Again, it's not confirmed, but it kind of is a move that kind of gained steam rather quickly Thursday Thursday evening. So it looks like that Spalletti, who pretty much, uh, if you guys saw his interview, he's been saying that even my eighty year old grandmother or mother knows that we need a defender. So looks like that they're probably going to be getting some uh, additional help, which has surely been needed even since the summer. I think most fans would have agreed that they needed to get this deal, a deal like this done in the summer months. But better late than never, I suppose, this Lopez will be a welcoming addition to Inter's back line and should definitely give some support to Milan Skriniar and Jami Randa. Now, as for Rafinha, he's been, he's been riddled with injuries the past couple of years. I think that's kind of, that goes without saying. He is when he is healthy. He is a very talented player, and he does offer quite a bit. However, what's good about this move for Inter, if they can find a way to get it done, is the fact that it's likely to be a free loan because of those injury concerns that Inter have. Free loan with an option to buy in the summer around twenty to twenty-three million with add-ons included. So that again, that's one of those cases where you can see Inter are kind of going with that that loan route because they don't want to spend more any more money. They want to be able to get the pieces they need and to secure a Champions League berth. And then in the summer, they can really reassess their squad with that extra money to work with and see who is going to be staying long-term and who is not. So credit to Inter for being a little bit more active. Although, again, they maybe are not going to be splashing the money like any of the other teams in Italy this month with the exception of maybe Napoli with the winger situation they're working on. The fact that Inter are trying to, you know, shore up in certain areas does give you the indication that they are really placing a lot of value in qualifying for uh, the Champions League. Yeah, and they have missed the Champions League uh, the last couple of years, and they definitely would like to, uh, as an organization, as a club, for their fans, for the team to make that, uh, make that fourth place spot at least to give them not only a financial boost, but also um, to bring them back to that pedigree that they once were. And uh, they're, they've got teams that pick at their heels, Roma and Lazio, who are, have closed the gap between them. So it should be an interesting fight uh, to the finish for those last third, fourth spots um, for those ch- for that Champions League. Uh, and as we move on to the other team that's that's actually fighting for them as we go down the list uh, of the standings, um, Roma have the game in hand, but they've slipped to fifth uh, behind their, uh, their cousins, uh, Lazio. Uh, Roma look like they're a little bit fatigued, a little bit out of sorts. They had a great start to the season, great first half. Uh, won their Champions League group, were on fire. Even had a chance to even uh, compete for the Scudetto, but they've lost ground, significant ground over the last month, like Inter Milan. And they lo- they're looking um, like they may not add someone, even though they they really should. Their midfield looks a little bit fatigued. They could use another another guy in there. Uh, defensively, maybe adding another player. They just sold Castan to Cagliari, who wasn't being used. Uh, up front, they need to get a little bit creative. They have Gerson sitting on the bench, but maybe they could use another winger uh, to help them out uh, up front. Uh, their goalie, Alisson, who's had a hell of a year, has played really well, should be, in my opinion, Brazil's goalkeeper, uh, for the World Cup in June. Uh, rumors have it that he may replace Mignolet at Liverpool. There's been some talks right now. They've been rebuffed, uh, rebuted by uh, Roma, and, and he's not going to go anywhere now because they need him. But that could be something we will look forward in June uh, for Roma. That's something they got to add someone, and I'm sure you agree, Matt, they've got to add somebody uh, on their roster to keep pace because Lazio's passed them 
uh, it's 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 going to be a dogfight for that last Champions League spot. Whereas before it was, it looked almost secure, but not so much right now. No, absolutely. Again, getting getting back to Allison because you know he's obviously the big target that's been linked to Liverpool. With him, I, I've been telling this to any of the Liverpool fans that have been asking me. He's not moving this month. It's just not going to happen. A team like Roma have too much invested in qualifying for the Champions League this year, and they have that round of 16 fixture, or that round of 16 tie, excuse me, with Shakhtar that they definitely have. So they're not, they're in no position to sell their, their number one choice keeper, who's been, in my opinion, the best in Italy this year. You can make a case, maybe it's been Wojciech Szczesny, maybe it's been Handanovic, whoever. I think, in my opinion, it goes without saying, for Allison being a first-time start, this is really his first full season as a starter in Italy, he's been sensational, and it's only a matter of time. It's not a, not a certainty that he's going to move to uh, Liverpool, but there's a good chance that if he does start in, in in Russia, as you just mentioned, for Brazil, that's only going to skyrocket his value because he's on the grandest stage of them all in international football, and he does have that ability to prove himself as an elite keeper. So there is something to keep an eye on for the summer, but as of right now, Roma shouldn't Roma fans should be worried that they they shouldn't be worried that Allison's going to leave. I think he's going to stay for sure. Now speaking on Lazio, Lazio are probably going to be a little bit more on the quieter end. I think they have a pretty good squad overall. They are pretty deep in certain in certain areas. There has been talks that maybe Stefan Devraj could be sold if a good offer comes in. As you many of you know, he's a free agent in the summer and he's unlikely to sign a contract extension. Lazio have added some defensive help in Martin Casares the former Juventus defender who recently has been playing at Elas Verona. He's been healthy this year, and he's looked like a, a pretty stable uh, defensive option for Simone Inzaghi to go to. So, again, I think that's going to be a little more with a trend for Italian teams this month, with the exception of maybe being Napoli. You're going to see some small moves, some loan moves, something to cut, some different uh, transfers to kind of round out the squad and maybe secure the objective they set out for. But overall, nothing major is going to happen. You're not going to see any... Philippe Coutinho type deals where money's being splashed on certain players or like a Nabi Keita, you know, going to Liverpool, things like that. It's going to be more on the quieter end. But sometimes that's all it really takes for some of these teams to meet their objectives. If a team like Inter can land a winger, a defender, and maybe a fullback, that can be just enough for them to secure top four finish. So again, don't expect anything massive, but for some of these other teams on the fringe, even some of the teams at the bottom of the table, like Benevento, who are looking to pull off the great escape and emulate what Crotone pulled off last year. They're playing well. They're only eight, eight points off relegation. They just added Sandra, the former QPR midfielder, Brazilian. So they're doing some things as well to kind of stay afloat because, again, there's so much banking on staying in the league but also qualifying for the Champions League and the Europa League. Yeah, it'll definitely be a good finish uh, at the end of the season. Again, two a couple more weeks left for these clubs. Um, and just want to finish off with Milan. Not much really to say for them. Um, Mirabelli, their their director, uh, said that they're pretty much going to stand pat. They spent a lot in the offseason, and they've got a lot more issues that just can't be solved with adding players. So that's something they'll have to work out internally. I don't think they need to add anybody. They're going to get Andrea Conti back uh, from injury, who uh, that's pretty much like a signing in and of itself. So for Milan fans, uh, don't really expect them to do much. Uh, they don't really need to. They just have to kind of figure things out and, and sort things out internally. Um, in terms of the other clubs, that pretty much wraps it up for this week. It hasn't been uh, a, a heavy week this this week uh, in terms of big name rumors, uh, but that's just how it goes in, in this the transfer market game. You know, it's a day by day thing, week by week thing. But stay tuned with us uh, for the, with the Italian Football Daily podcast for the remainder of the month. We will be talking transfers. On our shows, uh, still a lot to be discussed. Still a lot can happen. Um, anything in the world of football can happen, especially in the world of calcio, in an instant. So, be tuned for that. Uh, for myself, um, I'll uh, be signing off. Uh, nothing further for me. Thanks again, everyone, for uh, for listening and send us your questions in using the hashtag uh, hashtag Italian FD Podcast. Keep up to date with uh, with our with our material. Matt just uh, wrote up a great article. Uh, today uh, that's just been updated on our website we've got the most in-depth coverage of the transfer market and all things italian calcio once again italianfootballdaily.com and our twitter handle at italianfd for myself joe siracco 
you can uh, follow me at Joe Antonio C. Uh, Matt, thanks again for having me on the show. Um, it's been a pleasure as always, uh, and thanks so much to everyone listening. Joe, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate your time. Make sure you're following Joe on Twitter at Joe Antonio C, where you can find his latest work and all discussions regarding football across the world. Now we're going to talk about the second division of Italian Calcio. Joining me now is Kevin Nolan of Italian Football Daily and the Gentleman Ultra. You can follow him on Twitter at Kevin Nolan 11. Kevin, how's your new year going? Great. Thanks very much, uh, Matt, for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure to be on my first ever podcast, proper podcast anyway. I hope uh, you're all well yourself and looking forward to talking about a bit of lower league calcio. Obviously, we have quite the race going on in the first division in Serie A, but there's plenty to talk about in the in Serie B. The table's looking um, pretty exciting halfway through the season. Some interesting storylines. There are some financial difficulties with some of the teams. So that's why we got Kevin on to just kind of clear that all up for us and give his expertise on the matter. So, all right, Kevin, first off, I'm looking at the Serie B table, and there's some familiar teams at the top, some of which we are very familiar with that we've seen in Serie A the past couple of years. Of course, Palermo there at the top of the table with 39 points. Second is Frosinone with 37, so they're clipping at Palermo's heels. Third is Empoli with a few points trailing them. And then we got Badri and Parma. So first off, can you give me a little bit of an idea of what's going on in the Serie B season with some of these teams? I feel like it's every week it's kind of changing. There's just, Every time I take a quick glance at it, I'm seeing, you know, Venezia come up, creeping up into the top three, top four. And then I see a couple weeks later, they're slipping a little bit. They're a ninth right now. So just give me a, give me your impression of what's going on as it stands with the table. Yeah, it's it's really been a insane league so far this season. Uh, it's probably going to categorize as no one wants to win at the minute. Uh, probably the best kind of statistic to come from that is that 21 matches into the league, only two teams have won 10 matches. You're going to double figures, that being Palermo on top and Barry down and forward. Everyone else is still kind of languishing and seeing the figures well below, kind of winning half the less than half their games. So it's just really inconsistency from all the teams. No one seems to be wanting to get out in front. Obviously, Palermo in the last couple of weeks before the winter break have stretched a few points in front now in the automatic promotion race. Them across the only like are opening a small gap, but then you don't know what's going to come now when after the winter break and they come back there and just send back the weekend of the 20th and 21st. Uh, they could go out there on the pitch and, and lose straight away. It's just the team's bottom of the league or wherever. It's just uh, it's really, really up in the air. Um, I suppose, like you're saying, some big names who've been in Serie A very recently. You have Palermo, uh, Frosinone only recently went down. Uh, they're another player. They wouldn't maybe have the names of the team. Teams around them, Frosinone, maybe not kind of historically, but they have a brand new stadium, uh, a promising young manager in Moreno Longo, and they just look like a club kind of going the right direction, and they kind of want to get up into Serie A and maybe set themselves up as a, a club there for the future. Then have Empathy, who, even though they're in third place, they recently sacked their manager, uh, bringing in uh, Aurelio Andrea Zoli now to take over. Uh, Barry then have obviously former World Cup winner Fabio Grosso in charge. And he's doing a, a decent enough job. Barry in the last number of years probably been covered by inconsistency. And it is slightly like that again, but they are still up up in, in, in the promotion promotion race where they haven't been over the last couple of seasons. Parma then obviously does uh it's been a really, really up and down season for Parma. I know they've come up from Serie D and Serie C in straight promotions, but um, this year, I think it was about seven games into the season when they scored their first goal from open play. I mean, it had been free kicks and corners, everything up to that, and it was just fans were kind of getting a little bit restless of the style of play, but then they went on a great run. Uh, Roberto Villahursa, the manager, got handed a new contract, and since he's got a new contract, he's drawn three games in the middle. Uh, so it's just it's it's general madness kind of in the division that no one no, you can't tell from week to week what's going to happen and that's just what makes it so exciting. No, absolutely. Again, you know, there's it's it's interesting to see you know the teams that get relegated the year before to quickly see how they respond. There's now there's some certain cases where 
you know, we see with Palermo where they're right back on, they're on the fringe of pretty much be clinching, not on the clinching, but because there's still plenty of time, but they're, after getting relegated, they're jumping back up and it's, they're having that quick turnaround despite obviously some issues with the presidency, who's going to take over the club, um, you know, who's going to manage and things like that. Because obviously with Zamparini, you really never know what happens is going to happen with him. Uh, so I, I think it's interesting to see how Palermo's kind of slow, they're making that, that effort to get back into Serie A. Now, speaking on Parma, I mean, they've, they've obviously, I know you're a big Parma fan, you follow them extensively, um, and you've been following them, they're pretty much their trek since their bankruptcy and their, their ascend through the ranks. Do you think, I mean, what is their expectation for Parma? Do you think that Parma could return to Serie A next year? Because I think they're one of the big clubs, kind of like Bari and Palermo as well, who, you know, they have such a big historic history and... You know, everyone associates them with playing in the top tier. Do you think a team like Parma can um, make it to Serie A and kind of complete that massive comeback, despite everything that's been occurring with the financial aspects of uh, of the club? Yeah, I think that is something they can do. I think when the club was refounded, the kind of stated goal was to be in Serie A within uh, what was it four, four seasons, four or five seasons, kind of maybe one season without promotion, kind of from Serie D up. Is kind of the, the ultimate goal, so they're very much on course to, to do it. Uh, they're kind of one just the fan base is still very much there. I think there are only one three clubs in the division that are getting an average attendance of over 10,000, so they're still kind of big, big for this division, division even after it gets promoted. Uh, they're making one of the few clubs so far that in the trend, January transfer window who have started making moves, they brought in um. Alessio De Cruz from Navarra, promising winger, uh, Dutch winger, and uh, Vachia from uh, Foggia has come in. And they've kind of released a couple of players now that are kind of on the fringes of the team. So they're really kind of, they're, they're going for it now straight away uh, this season. They're looking to get promoted up first time of asking. And of course, they still have the, the legendary Alessandro Lucarelli at the back, even though he's now 40 years of age. The man is leading the line and is one of them consistent performance in the division, although he did get sent off to them in the last match and he, he's suspended now, but still he is, despite his age, leading the line for the club. Uh, up front then you have Emmanuel Calayo, another veteran man who is well used to football at a higher level again. And generally the squad is built for a promotion push. And whether, whether it would be good enough to stay up in Serie A if they did get there is another matter. But uh, they are kind of one, one of the better squads in the division up there with Palermo, who would probably be uh, classified maybe as a slightly better or just on a par with Parma at this moment. It's interesting because, you know, again, with, with Parma, you, with some of these teams, especially after bankruptcy, you really just never know how to predict where they're going to be in, in, a, in one year, two year, five years, five years' time. Sometimes it's unfortunate, but we see that teams that, got, like, that declare bankruptcy, we really never hear from them. Sometimes they're liquidated completely, and they're just really never able to get back to previous heights. So it's good to see a team like Parma. You know, obviously, um, they still have some work to do. They're a couple points from the top four. But overall, I mean, it's, it's great to see a team of their stature, you know, threatening a return to Serie A in what feels like no time. I mean, for them to do what they're doing is... is, is I think a lot to do with it is momentum. You look at Parma, they're just coming straight up from, from Serie D, Serie C. Venezia are the same. Uh, they're opening up the table. Uh, Cremonese, who are also got promoted to Serie C last season, are, are hanging around the playoffs. So the momentum is a lot to do with And if you look to Serie A, you have Benevento and Spal, who both came up consecutive seasons. So I think if you just get a good run going together, these clubs can make it step up very quickly. Absolutely, I agree. And I think, you know, I mean, you can you can agree with me or disagree on this, but I feel like when you're looking at the teams in Serie B, it, it really, as you just mentioned, it's all about form and building that momentum. I mean, if you have a team like who Venezia, although they're in a ninth on 29 points, I mean, if they run off a couple good games in a row where they win maybe three in a row and a team like Bari slips a little bit, then they can find themselves within a couple points of that top three, top four. So I feel like that Serie B is like, in, in a way, Serie A, is that in a matter of weeks, things can drastically change with the ta- with the shape of the table and I think again it's, it's going to be one of the more fascinating to monitor throughout the Serie B season for sure now speaking on um, I know you mentioned some of the uh, you know mentioned Luca Relli and a couple others 
I'm looking at the, the scoring list in Serie B, and I'm finding a little bit of a fascination with the fact that most of the top scorers are 25, 27, 29. They're not really younger guys that we'd, we'd kind of hope to see because the talking point over the past couple months, ever since um, Italy failed to qualify for the World Cup, was, well, okay, where is the next generation of talent? Where, why aren't these young guys making the next step why, and then making that push into the, the, uh, the first team? So I'm looking at some of these guys. I mean, Francesco Caputo has 15 goals. Cristiano Galano is 13. Samuel Di Carmine is 12. There's not many noticeable names. Okay, this kid's 17 or 18, 19. He's maybe top three in, in scoring, and he could make, maybe make that push to landing a move at a big club and then maybe going out on loan. So why do you think there is such a lack of young scoring talent in um, Serie B? I think it is a lot to do kind of with the pressure on, on these big teams to get out of the division is that they're the old dog for the long road if you, if you will kind of they don't want to just give it a chance on this youngster to straight out in case things don't go well because you know yourself when we finance the clubs in this division because there's a lot there's a lot invested in getting into Serie A so like yeah. you're not gonna have a team like Palermo fielding youngsters they're gonna they're gonna field their Nestorovsky and some of their veterans because they know that again as you just mentioned the financial implications and the advantages of getting that promotion you're exactly right that's that's it like I mean again if you look to Venezia one of their key players is Dimitri I, I think he's 38 years of age center half as well it is very much kind of like just these, these fellas are tried and tested in the division. They're able to get the goals. Uh, they're reliable, kind of maybe at centre-halves, kind of organising defences. With a very young player at this level, you don't know what you're going to get. And there is a huge amount of stake for these clubs. I mean, take a club like Latina, who I think it was about four seasons ago, lost the, lost the promotion playoff final to Chisena. A couple of years later, they went bankrupt and they're starting down in Serie D again. So... Can a club kind of really give a chance to a youngster if they know that they only have maybe one shot at getting promoted? And if they don't get it, well, oblivion could wait. No, you definitely bring up a good point with that. So moving on towards something that's, um, you know, I think it's it's been kind of a, a problem over the past, I would say, decade, maybe a little bit longer, is um, the bankruptcy issues and, and the liquidation and the, the, um, the removal, if you will, of some of these teams that have kind of just withered away and, and, and you never hear from them again. Vicenza is one of the latest teams uh, on, the, on, the, on the brink of bankruptcy or already declared bankruptcy. And it's a bit of a growing problem. Obviously, we just mentioned Parma's had that difficulty in the past. And there's several other teams. And it's kind of just sad to see because some of these teams and these, these fans travel, they have such a, a dedication and passion for these clubs. And when it feels, it's, it's sad to see when those teams are kind of for a lack of a better term, ripped out from underneath them because this is something, again, football is the sport where people like to get away from their work, daily work grind and, 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 and go to gather to watch a game, support their local club. With a team like Vicenza's bankruptcy, why do you think this is... I know you touched on it in your, in your article for the Gentleman Ultra, which was fantastic. If you guys haven't uh, taken a quick peek at that, be sure to do that. I can actually provide the link on Twitter for you guys. But... Just give me a little bit of a rundown of some of the teams over the past couple of years that we have seen kind of uh, declare bankruptcy, you know, have their financial issues and things like that. And why do you think it's such a growing problem in Italy and maybe not everywhere around the world? Well, I, I don't even have to go back a couple of seasons. I can only go back a couple of months to Modena, who uh, went, went bust uh, during the middle, middle of the year and are out of the league and so perhaps for Chenzar, the exact same division as them. Uh, so it could be two teams from the same group as Harry C gone. It's just oh, poor owners is down, to, is down to a lot of it. Two fellas who come in promising the world and then don't deliver and just kind of fade away into the background, kind of leaving the club to kind of pick up the pieces. And it's, I suppose, if you can look down to, to Serie D, uh, something that shows very much the attitude of the Italian leagues is that in Serie D, there's an inbuilt playoff system that, for the sole purpose of replacing bankrupt teams in Serie C for the season after. Because I think there's nine Serie D groups, and each a top team in each group gets promoted, and there's only nine relegation places, I think, then from Serie C. So there should be no one else getting out of Serie D. 
but they still have a playoff system for every group. I think that tells you a lot to need to know about the attitude maybe to the, to the lower leagues football at the moment. So to, so to piggyback, or at least to follow up on that, I mean, do you think, because we've been talking about what needs to change with the Italian football infrastructure, um, obviously the president, Davecchio, stepped down, Ventura was sacked, so there are some changes that are being made with the first team and in, in, in terms of the governing body of this uh, federation, but do you think there, there needs to be some, some restructuring of the way these divisions are separated? Because... We're looking at some of these divisions. I mean, Serie C is set, it has so many different teams, and some of them are not stable enough to kind of sustain any type of success and, and things like that. So do you think that it's also the issues for with these bankruptcies and these financial concerns um, plaguing the Italian game, the lower divisions, do you think that's kind of down to the, the lack of modernization for Italian football? Because, again, that's a lot of times people tend to gravitate towards this that were that Italian, the Italian game is not up to date. It's not modern, and that's kind of been the ultimate downfall of some of these teams. Do you think that has anything to do with um, the financial uh, bankruptcies and, and things like that that's going on with some of the teams that you just mentioned? Yeah, I would agree, agree with that. I mean, I've been to a few of these kind of lower league stadiums already, Italy, and a lot of them are just kind of very run down. Either concrete bowls or are being held up with scaffolding, so they're not the most overly appealing place to go to. And so if you're not getting fans through the, through the turnstiles into the stadium, you're obviously not going to be getting huge kind of money from from the from the gate, which is important at this level because they don't have the kind of the, the TV deals that Serie A and even possibly Serie B would, would have. So getting fans into the stadium is very important for them. And just the facilities aren't really there to to get to get them in, really. It's just because it's not overly appealing but because the football the football is is good there's good players down there there's some great names from the past that are, are still uh, bobbing around in Serie C but it's it is just kind of not overly attractive to for the fans to go in unless you're you're a hardcore ultra behind the goal or, or a, re, a really really dedicated fan no I mean it's it's you know and again those are certain things that that you've that you've touched on in that article for the German ultra which again I'll definitely share on my personal account, and I can or I can retweet it from Kevin's. So, last thing before I let you go, we're in the transfer window in Europe, and like we saw last year, there were some young players that were um, being linked to some of the big clubs in Italy. One of the big names was Riccardo Orsolini. He was at Ascoli. He was doing fantastic for them, pulling off those three-second Vine clips and kind of taking over uh, social media for at least a couple days. And he actually wound up being purchased by Juventus. We talked about the scoring table and that there's not many young talents topping that tape, that um, that chart. Are there any young players that are impressing you throughout this this first portion of the season? And are there any individuals who maybe could be making a summer move before being loaned back? Who should we? Who should fans of 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 the top teams in Italy and or just Serie A in general keep an eye on? Because as you just mentioned, there though there are some players that are a little bit older and they're pretty much just kind of. You know, kicking around a little bit until they before they retire. There are quite a bit of youngsters who are trying to make that climb up in their career and maybe make move on to a big team. Who are some of those guys that we should keep an eye on? Well, I think we should start off with probably with goalkeepers. Uh, so you have Emil Aldero at Lona Venezia. He's obviously, I think he's born by Juventus already. So they already have their have their grip on him. So they're kind of biding their time to see how he works out, and he's. He's playing quite well for Venezia this season. He's been impressive, and I can see him certainly maybe making a step up next season. Obviously not with Juventus, but maybe, I don't know, why not? Like Sorrentino and the likes of Chievo, he's getting old there. I think, you know, a spell with a club kind of similar to Chievo, maybe lower half the season. Uh, not to table, I mean, uh, for next season, then possibly moving on. Uh, then you also have a young, young Milan keeper, Alessandro Pizzari, is that how you say it? I was just about to ask you about him, yes. He, he's on loan at Ternana, doing another good job there. Obviously, if Donnarumma stays around, there's not going to be a place for him with Milan. So, again, would he if, move up into maybe a lower rank with uh, Serie A team next season? Because he's certainly going to be good enough at this level and ready to make the step up. Maybe a few other players, obviously. Just one kind of bang, son, hand. A Perugia, a Perugia is kind of maybe the 
the un- unusual name, North Korean striker. He started the season on fire, attracted a lot of attention. He has cooled off a, off a bit over the last couple of months or so, but he's one that maybe for a bit of a novelty factor to keep your eye on. Uh, then again, if you go back to Parma, maybe again, one player I think is uh, very interesting is a guy called Pasquale Matsaki. He's 22 years of age now, I think. Uh, actually wrote a little piece from for the website, Italian Football Daily. But um, he's a kind of a right winger, right wing back. Uh, when he joined, he joined Parma down in Serie D, kind of came across as very raw. He was just kind of great pace, but he wouldn't really know what to do with the ball the whole time. But watching him over the last two seasons in the bit, his development has been phenomenal. And I think he's ready to make a step over to Serie A. We've had kind of rumours over the last month or so that the likes of maybe Bologna and Sassuolo are sniffing around him. Bernardo, I think he will stay with Parma, but he is one that I think, despite maybe not being exactly young, young talent at 20, 22, I think he's one to keep an eye on. Uh, then there's a young fellow, Christian Capone at uh, Pescara. He's only 18 years of age. Hasn't been a consistent starter with uh, Pescara, but he's got, he's got 11, uh, sorry, five goals and 11 appearances so far. He's on loan from Atalanta, so he'll be another one kind of coming out of the famed Atalanta youth system. Uh, then maybe last one or two names throughout. You have uh, Andrea Favilli, who's uh, with Ascoli. Obviously, you mentioned yourself, Ricardo Orsolini. Uh, she's been signed by Juventus now, out, out on loan then with Atalanta. Is. So Favilli's 20 years of age. He, he has an injury now at the end of the season. He has knee ligaments. Whether that will delay his development or not is, is something to see. But he's another talent that could maybe make a step up in the next uh, year or two. And yeah, they're generally kind of they're maybe not teenagers or something. But early, a lot of our friends early twenties that you still think that still just about time on their side to make a step up. Maybe not exactly to the likes of uh, Juventus, Milan, Inter, the big names. But I can't see why some of these fellas wouldn't do a great job with the likes of Atalanta or Sampdoria, Torino, that kind of region of the league. And who knows, maybe if they get in there and get in good form, where things can lead. Oh, no, absolutely. And again, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're sl- slowly, these, a lot of these teams, like the Atalantas, or the uh, Bolognas, the, the teams maybe at the bottom of the half of the table, they're, well, Atalantas, they're in the mix for the Europa League. But what I'm saying is that some of these other teams who don't have the, uh, the wallet to get the, the, the big time different difference makers, to not compete for silverware, but to kind of just stay in the race for, you know, staying in Syria. This is where a lot of these guys, these clubs tend to look, is the lower divisions where they can find value, guys that can maybe be developed and become eventual first-teamers for them. So I, I always find that fascinating because I think it's very difficult for someone in the States to follow what's going on in the second tiers. And I think everything that you're pretty much saying is a wealth of knowledge that definitely people should definitely want to um, learn more about. So, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. Before we Before we let you go... Is there anything you're working on? Anything you want to plug to us that you find uh, our viewers should know about? Well, uh, I think you mentioned I just said that I do I write for a bit for the Gentleman Lodge as well. Um, trying to work maybe on a piece now coming up soon on Modena and their uh, kind of failure over the course of this season. And hopefully I'll be turning out more stuff for Italian football daily on the, on the lower leagues in the months and hopefully maybe years to come. We'll see. Sounds good, Kevin. Definitely looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Kevin. You guys can follow me on Twitter at KevinNolan11. Kevin, great talking to you. Thanks, man. See you now. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Italian Football Daily Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at ItalianFD. You can follow me at Matt underscore Santangelo and our guest Joe at JoeAntonioC. And last but not least, Kevin Nolan at KevinNolan11. Thank you so much. See you guys later.